Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to wrap up uh, a three-week series that we've been in uh, called What God Wants. What God Wants. And if you missed any of the last two messages or any of the past messages we've had since our inception back in September, you can find them on whatever your favorite podcast platform is at RCC Phoenix. Um, just look for that on your podcast platform. If you don't know what a podcast is, uh, these guys on the couch back here will help you find it on your cell phone because <coughs> um, they're under 20, right? So they'll be able to fa- find it for you really quick. Um, and uh, or you can go to rccphoenix.com and just click the podcast link and all of our messages are there. I encourage you to go, go back and find the two that lead up to where we are today um, because there's been some, uh, it's a short series, but been some deep work. <clears throat> and so um, I'm really excited about this. And so uh, this week we're going to wrap it up and we've been in Micah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. And we're going to read it again here in just one second. But I want to just give us a quick reminder about what's going on at this time and point in history. Um, right before all of this happened. So Micah is a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord is speaking to Micah to give his message uh, to his people, the children of Israel. And the children of Israel have, again, what else is new, turned their back on the Lord. They have done, they have done uh, committed many atrocities and done many things that the Lord has asked them not to do. But one thing that they've done specifically is that they have intermarried with the other people from other nations around, around Israel. This was strictly forbidden by God, not because God thought that the people around the nation weren't good enough for his, for his folks, you know what I mean? But all of those people in, uh, in the surrounding nations were worshiping false gods. They were into idol worship. They were into some crazy rituals. And God did not want his people's affection to be turned towards idols or idolatry. He wanted them on him. And so Israel, what, is they, what do they do like they always do? They turn their back and they go and do exactly what God says not to do. They wind up intermarrying with these people. And guess what happens? Exactly what God said would happen, happened. And they start um, worshiping false idols. They start um, doing these weird pagan rituals that include all kinds of crazy things, including child sacrifice. <clears throat> and so at this point in time, God says enough is enough. And I want Micah to go deliver my message to my people and tell them, hey, man, gig is up. This is the the judgment that's coming. And so this is what Micah says to the children of Israel, starting in verse one. We can read it together. It's there in your notes. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. This is God talking to Israel. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. But now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me, for I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed, but how Balaam, son of Baor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness? Now this is Israel's response to the Lord. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? 
Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? God cuts them off and says this back to them. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. Very important, these three things. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The first week of the series, we dealt with the first one of those instructions, which was to do right. And we talked about the only way to do right is to know right and wrong. And the only way to know right and wrong as someone who's a child of God is through his word. If we're not spending time with God in prayer and his word, we're not going to know what right and wrong is. And we're not going to know how to make the right decisions because God's character is on display throughout his entire book. The second week, we talked about to love mercy. And this doesn't mean just to be merciful or to show forgiveness. The instruction isn't to show mercy. The instruction is to love mercy. And that's where it got complex for me. Because I can forgive, but to love that forgiveness, it requires a heart change that rejoices when others who have done me wrong get forgiveness and grace from God instead of the punishment that I think they should have got. That one's a hard one. I'm going to talk about grown up, man and woman, walk with the Lord, mature believer stuff. That's one of them. This week, <clears throat> the third instruction of the Lord from Micah 6 is what we're going to review while we wrap up. And it's the next line in your, it's the first line in your notes there. Walk humbly with your God. If, you're, if you've got a pen or if you need one, I'm sure we can grab you one. But it's humbly, that first line there, humbly, H-U-M-B-L-Y. Walk humbly with your God. So this week, we're going to talk about humility, and this is a, a subject that our culture, our great American culture, could uh, really use, right? Like, they, are, they, they have a, you ever seen the Saturday Night, skit, Saturday Night Live skit that says, I got a fever, and the only remedy is more cowbell? You know? No? Okay. Just watch a YouTube clip when you get home, right? Yeah. But um, America's got a fever, arrogance. And it's going to take a heavy dose of humility to get rid of it. it not, a, not a take two of these and call me in the morning kind of a dose. Uh, admit them to the hospital and hook them up to an IV right into the main artery kind of level of humility. And we can all probably agree that there are levels of humility in the most prosperous, powerful nation ever to walk, you know, ever to exist on the, on the planet, ever in human history. There's probably levels of arrogance that we deal with that we may not even be aware of. But... Before we look at the culture and the country and say, we're going to talk to all those guys about their arrogance and lack of humility, we're going to have to do something else first. I'm going to take a look in the mirror. When I first started in ministry, or the next line of your notes, it's easy to criticize others. It's in quotes because that means everybody. It's easy to criticize others while letting ourselves off the hook by justifying our own actions. It's easy to look at somebody and we go, that is a cocky sucker right there. And then not deal with our presented arrogance because we judge other people by their actions and ourselves by our best intentions. When I started ministry um, years ago, um, I'm not old, uh, I read an anonymous ministry quote that says this, and it's the next line in your notes there. It says, if you want to change the world, 
change the people. People. If you want to change the people, change their hearts. Their hearts. If you want to change their hearts, change yours first. <clears throat> so before we deal with the culture, let's deal with the people in the mirror. When I read that statement, to walk humbly, I thought, I want to know what this means because I could try to make it mean something or kind of like make it all nifty for a message, but doing nifty things is not necessary when it comes to God's word. And when I looked, at, when I looked up these words, the, the, I put the definition of them in your notes there. This word walk is the Hebrew word yalak. And if you're a Hebrew scholar and I said that wrong, then just be quiet. <laughs> it, it means this, to go to come, depart or proceed, to die or live in a manner of life. That's what that word means. The word humbly, to sana, means to be humble or modest, lowly, or to show humility. <clears throat> There's only one other place that I found in the Old Testament that this exact word is used in this way. Derivatives of the word are used other places throughout Scripture. There's only one other place that this word is used, and it's in Proverbs 11.2, and it's there in your notes. The New King James Version is what I put it there for you. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble, that word right there, same one, with the humble is wisdom. <clears throat> one of the things that we do um, here when we're, when we're doing study, and one of the things that I personally do when we're doing study is I read commentaries from other scholars and biblical theologians. And I ran across, across this one, and the verbiage is kind of older English, but it's too important to, to miss. I've put it in your notes there, and it's the next line in your notes. It's from Adam Clark's biblical commentary on Proverbs 11. He says this. That, he, he says this about that statement, when pride comes. The proud man thinks much more of himself. Next line of your notes, himself. The proud man thinks much more of himself than any other can do. <laughs> and expecting to be treated according to his own supposed worth, which treatment he seldom meets with, he's repeatedly mortified, ashamed, confounded, and rendered indignant. That next phrase, with the humble, it says his uh, commentary on it, the lowly, the modest, opposed to the proud, that is referred to in the first clause, the one we just read. The humble man looks for nothing but justice. thought that was interesting. The humble man looks for nothing but justice. He has the meanest opinion of himself, expects nothing in the way of commendation or praise, and can never be disappointed, but in receiving praise, which he neither expects nor desires. That is not me. <laughs> That's not my natural posture. It's not my natural position. It's something that the Lord is leading us to through his word. So in essence, when we're talking about to walk humbly, here's what we mean specifically. To live life in a manner that opposes all prideful, inflated, and self-serving opinions to oneself. And yes, I know self is there real close to each other. It's on purpose because typically arrogance is all about us. <clears throat> a couple uh, last year, maybe a year and a half ago, my wife came to me and she goes, um, uh, I love you. 
but you work too much. And I said, well, I'm a man, baby. You know what I mean? Like, we all, it's what we work. She goes, no, 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 it's not like that. You need, uh, you need a hobby. And so I started trying to get involved in a couple of different things, and so I picked cooking, which was bittersweet for her because she hates cooking, and we've been married 20 years. So she was happy that I started cooking, but not so happy that I waited 20 years to decide to, to figure out my newest hobby was going to be cooking. <clears throat> and so I'm really good at following directions, and I'm looking at some of the ingredients on some of these things. And, you know, I, I got this bread recipe. It's only got three ingredients. It's crazy. And I tried it, and it's really good. And I got some other recipes that I have not shown to anyone because they have so many ingredients, I can't even spell some of those things I need. You know, paprika. What is that? You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> so... I got really familiar real quick that there are some things that are less little throw-in ingredients, and then there are other things that are really big main ingredients. When we're talking about humility, there's one really big ingredient that we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to address specifically. And next line in your notes, humility requires honesty. Humility requires honesty. Now, those two things can go, well, what do you mean? How do those things go directly together? Let me show you. We're going to go over four ways we're going to, that honesty is going to impact our humility. Number one, or letter A, I should say. <clears throat> we must be honest about, letter A, what desires are truly in our heart. We must be honest about what desires are truly in our heart. If we are going to be humble people, if we're going to walk humbly, as we described earlier, we're going to have to be honest about the desires that are truly in our heart. I talked to a woman this, the, a couple days ago who works at a medical clinic for people who are having a hard time taking care of themselves. And she was burnt, and it was later at night when I walked in there, and, and, I, and I was talking to her, and I thought I recognized her. I, I had that problem earlier with a couple of people. You know, I'm like, I just had that weekend where everybody looks familiar to me, you know? And so I said, do I know you? She's like, nope. <laughs> okay, then. Well, good to meet you. And um, she said, um, and I said, and she goes, well, where would I know you from? I work here six days a week. And I said, well, I've never been here before. So where do you go to church? And she goes, are you kidding? I don't go to church. I'm like, well, it's probably the only place I'd know you from. My bad. So great. Well, we're going to go about our separate ways here. And uh, she goes, no, look, I work here 10 hours a day, six days a week. Sunday's my only day off. The last thing I'm doing is anything. Crashing 16 hours in bed so I can get back up on Monday to come and do this again. And she goes, look, I don't need all that. I give enough here, right? Like, I'm taking care of people who can't take care of them. So I, I, I give. And I'm not picking on her specifically. It was just the most recent thing that I was able to see of a frequent position and attitude that people in our culture have. Well, I do good. I do right. I'm not as bad as that dude i give more than she does she's arrogant i mean like really bad arrogant she says like after everything she says like this is like terrible like you know like i i don't do that i just go over here and you know i can i, I deal with a little bit of pride but it's not nothing like that so i'm good because there's somebody worse than me and when we compare ourselves to other people we find that one that the true comparison should be to scripture and if we eliminate all the noise and compare what's really inside us, we find out because Jesus tells us. Mark 7, verses 17 to 23. 
Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by a parable he had just used. They were confused by a story he just told. Don't you understand either, Jesus asked? Can't you see the food you put in your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but it only passes through the stomach into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. From, uh, for from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's a long list. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. I don't know about you, but I hate being wrong. I hate being the one to blame. I hate when it's my fault. I work real hard so it's not like that. But when it shows up, I have a, a default position that Jesus is helping me with, but I'm just going to confess right to you right now. I try to deflect that responsibility on somebody else. Nobody else in this room does this, I'm sure, but I do this all the time. And I, I, some I'm asking the Lord to help me with when it's my fault, just to man up and be like, it's my fault, man. Instead of going, that's my fault. But if you would have just said this a little differently, I could have understood it the way you wanted it to be. No, I was always deflecting and throwing it off on somebody else because I didn't want to wear the full brunt of it. And I'm afraid I learned this from our culture. Ultimately, I'm responsible for it. But I have to realize that all of these things that happen in my life and the mistakes that I've made were not because of somebody else or a miscommunication or some environment that I was in that was wrong. Those could have helped me. But ultimately, those evil desires came from right here. And that's a hard pill to swallow when you realize the things that we do wrong are because... We want to do them. If we're going to get to a place of humility, we've got to understand what the true desires in our heart really are. It's not an unchristian thing to admit areas where we're having problems. It's actually a very Christian thing to do. But nobody wants to do that, right? Nobody wants to let everybody know that I'm not doing good or I'm struggling right now. They want to keep the front up because, yeah, we good, right? Because I can't look bad. But Jesus says, let's not front. Bring that down and share one another's burdens. That's why he's given us the church, the real church. Admitting we have struggles, next line in your notes. <clears throat> as Christians, is a first step to conquering them. It's the first step to conquering them. If you can't admit there's evil intentions inside of you, you'll never ask for help or you'll never ask Jesus for his forgiveness. It's one of the first steps to conquering them. <clears throat> B. We must be honest about our true weaknesses and sins. <clears throat> our true weaknesses and sins. <clears throat> We're going to have to have a real honest conversations with ourselves about these weaknesses. If you're going to admit that, you, that these things come out of your heart, 
that's the root of them. You're going to have to look at the fruit of where these incorrect roots are in flesh that are producing these fruits out of that, that are not right, not moral, not scriptural, not in line where God would want us to be. Since most, most of us can talk ourselves out of guilt through justifying our own actions, I'll just pass right over that one. It's important to find a fellow Christ believer that we trust and confess our sins and weaknesses one to another. Got a little tense right there. That's the job of the church. That's one of the main focuses and requirements of the church is to bear one another's burdens. And for me to come to Mike and go, hey, man, I know you're working on my truck over here, but can I talk to you for a second? He says, no. <laughs> go talk to somebody else. And because I have a trust in a relationship here and a trust with a relationship here and a trust with a relationship here, I can find someone that I can go, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need some help. There are some people when I just recommended you do that right there or said that that's what you should do, there's no way in, your, in the world that your mind, you're like, I ain't doing that. I am not even close to doing that. Okay, James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Don't take my word for it. Take James. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I had no idea those two statements were tied together. Because when you find a righteous person that you're judging their fruit, I need to go talk to that person. I can trust that person. I've confided in them. I've built a relationship that I can say, this is the thing I'm struggling with. I'm going to take a risk here and say it. And then watch what happens when you bring that thing to the light. Bringing hidden embarrassing sins out of the dark and into the light takes, uh, takes away most of the power that sin holds over us. Bringing that thing out and being honest sheds light on it to the point where you look at somebody and they don't look at you like, oh my God, what did you do? You might just find out that they have struggled and maybe conquered the same thing you're struggling with. There are no super Christians in this room. There are people pressing after God. And if I can encourage you to do anything and you get nothing else out of this, find a friendship, a relationship that you can build with a believer that you trust, that you can bear your soul to when the moment requires it. And when you do that, you're not being weak. You are following the instruction of Scripture. And you'll find great freedom. Why? Confessing our sins and weaknesses. Next line in your notes. Confessing our sins and weakness brings us out of isolation. Brings us out of isolation. <clears throat> this next line is not in your notes, but for somebody, this is for somebody who needs to write it down. I literally put it in before the service started. It's for somebody. The lies of the enemy are amplified when you are alone. <clears throat> The lies of the enemy are amplified when you are alone. When it's just you and your thoughts and your guilt and your shame and I could have, should have, would have, wish I wouldn't have done that or whatever it is and the enemy piles on and he piles on and there's more temptation for you 
<clears throat> his voice gets so loud, especially when you're by yourself. See, we must be honest about what we're capable of. What we're capable of. <clears throat> Our American culture, when we talk about what we're capable of, bends this in a different direction than what we're going to talk about. You can do so much more than you think you can do. Push past the level of doubt. There's more for you. More. Go get more. More money. More prestige. More fame. More power. More whatever. You can do more than you think you can. Go for it. It's up to me what I will be. All those catchy little sayings that we hear back and forth. But this is not what we're talking about. We have to realize what we're truly capable of. When I was uh, <clears throat> growing up in church, I found some people who were my heroes, like my spiritual heroes. And I was always too afraid to go talk to them because they were the pastor, the leader, the spiritual guy, you know. And I was always like, getting, you know, gimpy when they walked by. And <clears throat> I could never, like, meet famous people, right? I'd just be... I got, to, I got to go to a, underneath the tunnel at a Laker game one day, and I didn't say hi to any of them when they were walking by, like Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, all these guys. And I was just like, I must have looked like a weirdo in a gumball blue throwback Laker uniform. And I'm just like, I just couldn't do it. <clears throat> I couldn't do it. That's how I, when I was a kid, that's what I did for all of my spiritual heroes. But I'd ask people, or I'd listen to little things they would say about what they did and what they didn't do. I wanted to make sure I emulated them. <clears throat> so I would hear that these people don't, you know, drink or smoke or chew or, <clears throat> you know, whatever else. Or they don't go see certain kind of movies. And they don't go to this place or this place. And, you know, they avoid those places. So I went, I'm going to do the same thing. So as I began to get older, I kept these things in my life, but I began to fail at them. And it was almost like a tree that was trying to pick up branches and hold them. I've never seen a tree at the end of the day go, Whoo, those things are heavy, man. <laughs> but that's what I was doing. I was trying to hold those things, those convictions, those rules that everybody else was telling me I should do. And they are good things. They were good guidelines. They were great. Kept me out of some trouble until I couldn't hold up the branches anymore and I just put them down and go home and feel like a failure I get back up the next day and try to get in front of all the people of the Christian friends I knew and I try to pick them all back up and go look I have these convictions and I go back home and lay them down and struggle privately because I didn't have the roots the relationship the depth connection with Christ these guys did I just wanted the branches and the fruit but I had no idea that they put those guidelines in place for themselves because they knew what they were capable of. If you do that, I'm going to encourage you to lay them branches down and spend a whole bunch of time deepening your roots in prayer, in worship, in scripture, and in time with God. Because when those things grow out of you naturally, they're not hard. 
when they grow out of you, that relationship with God and they become convictions that you hold because you know and God knows what you're capable of, they were far, it was far easier to abide by them because there was no appetite in me for it. Instead of just looking around going, I'm not supposed to do this, I'm not supposed to do this, I am supposed to do this, and looking like an idiot trying to hold these things up in the air on my own strength. Or trying to achieve righteousness through fleshly endeavors. Next line in your notes, if we're left to our own devices, we can find a way to justify almost anything. I had somebody come and ask me a similar question that I would always wonder if for my spiritual heroes when I was a kid. And I told them some things that I do and don't do and places I don't go or things I don't watch or whatever. <clears throat> and I noticed something very interesting. That person walked away thinking, Matt is Superman. Because I struggle with all those things and he doesn't and so I got to try to be as disciplined as him and it and for a while I would be be transparent I would be happy to tell people what my personal convictions were and celebrate them and champion them and you should follow those same things too because it made me look good what the truth is all of those guidelines and boundaries in my life are in place because I know what I'm capable of. I know how foul I can be. I know how angry, vengeful, hateful, dishonest, lustful I can be. I know all too well what Matt is capable of. And when you find those guidelines for yourself and you go to Scripture and you see these things and you put them into practice your own self and these, these disciplines and these convictions arise out of that relationship with God for you, always remember it's not because you're some super Christian because you're capable I'm capable of some foul stuff <clears throat> next line in your notes we are encouraged to put spiritual moral boundaries in our lives not because we're super Christians not because we're super Christians but because we know exactly what we are capable of without them Now, Matt, isn't everybody susceptible to the same things? Yep. But I would encourage you not to let yourself off the hook that quickly and say, everybody struggles with these things, so I'm not that bad. I would encourage you, and this one's risky. Everyone's capable of sinning, but the challenge for us is to make this statement personal. I am capable of doing despicable things. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> the reason it's dangerous to, and a group of people to roll that out there is because you may be someone who already beats yourself up enough because of the mistakes you've made. I'm not talking about heaping loads of guilt and shame on you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that religious facade that says, I'm good. I do all the, I follow all the rules when my heart is eaten alive with evil intentions. <clears throat> Not today, but later on. If you're one of those religious people like me, I, tell, I often tell people I'm a Pharisee who found God's greatest grace. If that's you and you struggle with saying the thing that you struggle with, you have a hard time doing that. I left a couple blank spots on a, the paper here for you. So finish this statement honestly for yourself. If left to my own devices, I would be what? Don't fill it out now. <laughs> Don't shout it out. <laughs> Don't point at your, the person next to you and be like, I know what you would be, bro. <laughs> Don't be doing that. <laughs> but later on this week, sometime in your quiet time tonight, whenever it is you get a chance, maybe ask yourself, what am I really capable of? You're going to have to know that before you can repent of it. Letter D. <clears throat> we must be honest about our need for the grace and mercy of God. <clears throat> that next little paragraph in your notes has three sections. Three little, three little lines we'll, we'll hit real quick. Understanding what desires are really in our sinful hearts. Identifying and confessing our weaknesses to other Christ followers that we trust. <clears throat> and admitting the wicked acts that we are truly capable of, capable of, should give us great insight to exactly why we need as much or more grace and mercy than the people we may feel superior to. Some of y'all will never come back after this message. She's like, man, I got a whipping today. I took it by myself with the Lord, so now we're all just in it together. <clears throat> Having a sense of moral or spiritual superiority is easy for religious people to do. And I'm telling on myself a lot today, so I'll just keep, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I um been in ministry for quite a while, um, and I would have people when at the end of a service, or they would come and ask me to pray for them a lot in my really younger years when I was pretty arrogant. <clears throat> they would come to me, and my heart would break for them when they would confess what they were going through and want prayer. And I'd pray for them sincerely, ask God to break the power of the sin that was in their life and the thing they were struggling with to give them the power to overcome it. And that, was, that part was real honest. I wanted them to be free. But the vicious truth is, when they'd walk away, 
I would stand there wherever I was after praying for them and go, I don't deal with that. And that's why I get to stand here and do what the Lord's been asking me to do because I don't screw up like they do. It's embarrassing to this day to know that I looked at good people who were struggling and honestly prayed for them. But when they walked away, stood back up on my own arrogant soapbox and thought, I don't need somebody to pray for me for that because I ain't struggling with it. It was a harsh day for Matt, <laughs> for Matt when the Lord convicted me to the point of saying, um, let's start exploring what's really in your heart, son. Jealousy, envy, hate, anger. I covered it up really good because I grew up in church. That's what we do really well covered up really good but I had to come to terms with the fact that wait when I read the Bible and talk about and the Pharisees are asking questions I would go that's a good question and then it hit me I think the Pharisees are asking good questions these are the people that Jesus was the most mad at he had the worst harshest Words for these people, the correction that was greater than anyone else. He would lovingly take the woman by the well who had had five husbands and gently restore her gracefully and then look at these pious, arrogant, religious Pharisees and go, bro, cut it out. You're not representing me or the, or the word of God well at all. When I realized I was the Pharisee, it became abundantly clear that all those people that I prayed for weren't the ones that needed the most grace. All the people I felt superior to, because I didn't struggle like you did, had to take a harsh bitter pill and realize, oh my God, I need more grace than they do. I need it more than they do. See, I felt like because I kept the Jesus rules good, got everybody in my church fooled to thinking, man, he's a good dude, that I deserved to be where I was and do ministry that next line in your notes is a real tough pill to swallow. One of the most prideful two-word combinations in the English language is I deserve. I deserve. Remember the people of Israel in Michael, Micah chapter 6? They were trying to purchase their forgiveness and buy God's grace. And by doing that, Israel showed their desire to achieve, next line in your notes, a holy result through wicked actions. 
a holy result through wicked actions. If God, just think about it for a second, if God had accepted Israel's pagan sacrifice, there would forever be a material price that could be paid for sins. And the wages of sins would not truly be death, as outlined in Romans 6. People would feel as though they could earn God's grace through giving material possessions, writing a big old check to the church. We're good, right? They could feel like they could buy God off. And ultimately, that would place our God, who is above everything, all-powerful creator of everything, it would put him on the same level as every man-made pagan god. Every other false world religion requires some physical penance to make amends for wrongdoing. Every one of them. And that's how you know they've been created by man. Because a man would try to sacrifice something a man can make to a God that's far above man. It's a contradiction. This is why the Lord spends time to say, not just walk humbly, but walk humbly with your God. See, the three instructions that Micah gave the children of Israel, I don't believe they were random. I believe they were in a sequential order, a specific sequential order. Just look at them real quick. Do what is right. Follow God's instructions and his word. And if his people do that, God's word and his instructions will change our hearts. Loving mercy. And it will lead his people to repentance, grace, humility, and salvation, which is the essence of walking humbly with our God. When we come to terms with the fact that all of our own personal efforts that are made away from following God, His Word, or His principles are ultimately selfish endeavors, we can begin to understand just how much we are in need of a Savior. James 4, verses 4 through 10 say this, You adulterers, adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be the friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Matt, I already feel guilt and shame, and I'm already kind of down on myself. I've already wept like it says. I, I have sorrow and deep grief. I have sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Then if you're at that point, my friend, you know what you're capable of. You know where the roots of these incorrect actions are coming from. They're coming from what we desire, which is in our own hearts. It is time for us to do the next thing is humble ourselves 
It doesn't say pray nine hours until God humbles you. It says humble yourself. Realize what you're capable of. Confess your sins to somebody else. <coughs> know that those things are coming from the deepest part of the flesh of your heart. All of those wrongdoings come from that place. Own up to it and say, God, I need you. Because the first step of humility is realizing we need a Savior. Jesus suffered the most humiliating of deaths for us. He was humiliated so that when we humble ourselves, He would take the shame and restore us to God and save us from eternal separation from our Master, our Creator, the Almighty God. And if you've made that step of humility, the next step is to continually live our life in a manner that resists the glorification of us and continually glorify <coughs> Him. Last line of your notes is this. <clears throat> when we walk humbly with our God, when we walk humbly with our God, we are doing what God wants.